Yo, this place is big. We should split up finding Will. Said no one who survived a horror movie ever. Because as you know, in every horror movie, the first rule of survival is never leave your friends. So don't split up if you want to make it to the end. No, don't. Don't split up. Welcome back to the Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. This is a bonus episode where we're going to be talking about the Netflix hit sensation Stranger Things. But first, we have our very first author interview. We are very excited about it. So please welcome to the show writer Oren Gray and illustrator and designer M.S. Corley. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much. And I'm your first author interview, so I'm sorry you picked me. That's... (laughs) <laughs> well, Oren, from what I understand, you are a huge horror movie fan. I am a huge horror movie fan. That is true. When did that start for you? Like, how early does that go? Uh, far back as I can remember. Like, my one of my literally earliest memories is watching Monster Squad on, yes. like, in a, in a 4-H barn. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, I was sitting on a bale of hay and projected it up on the wall, and I don't know what the hell I was doing there, but I do remember that very clearly, so. You so know, are you just a glutton for punishment, or you actually truly enjoy the genre? I truly enjoy the genre. I love it. I think that Monster Squad is also, it's either Monster Squad or the original Ghostbusters is, like, the earliest memory I have of watching a horror movie. Mm-hmm. And I loved Monster Squad. It wasn't until I was an adult that I realized it was basically a scene-for-scene Goonies remake, just with werewolves instead of pirates. Um, but I still love it. Like, I still love it to this day. It's fantastic. My earliest horror memory was Skeletor from He-Man. <laughs> nice. Uh, and, Mike, you are, you are also a horror fan, but somewhat less so, right? Yeah, I'm a horror fan in the sense. I don't like looking at things that scare me, so <laughs> as far as TV or anything goes, but I love reading a scary book. Well, so Oren, when did you start writing? Because you're, you're mainly a short story author, and you have a, a very, um, I don't know, awarded career. Your short stories routinely make it into best of horror, best of the year collections. Uh, so when, when did you start writing horror? Um... And I've been writing, you know, for as long as I can remember pretty much since I learned how. But I started really trying to publish right after college. So that would be like 10 years ago, 12 years ago. But I didn't actually, like, really start publishing heavily until about 2012-ish, 2011, 2012, which is when my first collection came out, the one that's being reprinted now, or Kickstarter to be reprinted now. Um, And... So yeah, I've been you know publishing pretty regularly ever since then. So tell us a little more about Never Beat the Devil. This you, uh, you just said it was collected in 2012, but uh, how far back do some of these stories go? Like what? Give us maybe sort of the lay of the different stories in this book. And the oldest story in the book I definitely wrote while I was still in college, and it's rewritten. You know, it was rewritten when I went to the collection, but I wrote it way back in college. So again. Lord, like 15 years ago now. That's horrible. Um, <laughs> and uh, the the stories in it span a pretty wide like, span of time. Um, I wrote them over in the course of, of many years. Some of them I wrote right before the collection came out. Some of them I wrote 
you know, six or eight years before that. Um, and uh, they're they're kind of uh, I, I kind of think of it as a sort of a best of my early stuff. Like I have a lot of early stuff that never got published and just went good drunk and never saw the light of day. Thank God. Um, and never is <laughs> all the good stuff that I had written up to that point. <laughs> nice. Mike, how did you get connected to Orin? Um, I don't know. <laughs> was it the Hellboy forums that we first talked? I don't know. I, I remember I came to you because um, I'd seen some of your like fan art book covers. You had done for you know, like Harry Potter and uh, well, most most interactions with people meeting me starts with the Harry Potter covers. <laughs> oh, nice! I can get behind this. Yeah. But um, you know they were amazing, obviously, and all of your cover design is amazing. And so I like I was a fan, and so I kind of stalked you for a while. I think before we became friends. So. <laughs> How That's the best it. friendships happen. <laughs> I can personally say some of your uh, podcast art is amazing as well. <laughs> yeah, for anyone yeah. that doesn't know, uh, Corley is the one who did all of our Don't Split Up podcast art, so... Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's that's actually how I found out. Uh, that's that's how I found out about your work as well, Oren, was through Mike and through some of the illustrating he's done for you. Uh, and then obviously when when you guys announced this Kickstarter, I was very excited. So tell us tell us a little bit more why um, why a second edition and and how did your vision for this kind of come together? Uh, basically, um, so the first edition was published back in 2012, and like I said, I was just kind of getting started in the field back then. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, and, uh, I think it did all right. You know, it, it did pretty well for itself and everything for a first collection from someone who was just starting out, but, uh, it kind of unexpectedly went out of print recently. The company that had put it out decided they were not going to be doing books anymore, and they just, uh, unceremoniously dumped the rates back on me, which was great. Hmm. And when that happened, um, my second collection had just come out. And a lot of people were, like, you know, getting into my second collection and saying, well, I want to go back and read this first collection, but then it was out of print. And so I was like, well, you know, that's bad. I should put that back into print. And I decided that I wanted to do it in a way that if people had already bought the first edition, they wouldn't feel like they were being gypped buying the second one. So I wanted to make it something cool enough that people would feel okay with buying it twice. And so I talked with um, Strix Publishing, which was the guys who were putting it out, uh, and, you know, they do these really gorgeous sort of collectible books. And um, when I talked to them, I knew I wanted Mike to illustrate it. We talked about working together on something again lots of times, and I knew you know, he was like my first and only choice. So I was, I went to them with this pitch of, you know, let's make it, you know, let's make it this, this hardcover, beautiful, fully illustrated book so that people aren't just getting my shitty stories again. <laughs> so, Mike, how many illustrations are you doing for the book? So I'm going to do one for every story. So I believe there's 13 stories in the book, and then there's going to be a chapter header illustration, kind of like with Harry Potter, how it has the little something. Um, and then he has an author portrait and a couple other extra thingies just Pattern throughout in there, and then I did the cover, of course. Of course. Uh, so on the Kickstarter, you have several uh, reward tiers, including some prints. For are those prints that you did for the various stories, 
or is that something extra? The the devil print is an extra one, the puppet guy. Um, yeah. One isn't related to any of the stories specifically, but it's inspired by the book, obviously. Um, so that's exclusively for the Kickstarter. And then the Black Hill Tentacle Monster one, um, that one is specifically from a story that you can actually read on the Kickstarter um, to give you a taste of what's in the book. Which I read last night and is phenomenal. <laughs> Thank you very much. So uh, I'm, I'm curious, for this is a question for both of you, do you have a favorite story in the book? Um, hold on, let me grab the book. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and it's, it's always hard for me to pick favorites of my own stuff um, for obvious reasons. I'm Honestly, I mean, I, I'm really fond of the, the, the novella, The Mysterious Flame, which is one of the only true novellas I ever wrote at, like, 23 words. Um, but I think, honestly, for me, my favorite story, and it might be uh, this one called The Seventh Picture, which is, it just ties in a lot of my obsession with uh, old movies, and, like, specifically, in this case, like, Castle and Vincent Price movie. And it's written in this kind of found footage kind of way, and you know, it's just it, it ties in a lot of my movie obsessiveness, which I do a lot more of in my second collection, but I really love writing about movies. So it might be my favorite. Nice. Mike, what about you? I would say um, well there's several that I like. What what's funny with this book is um, I'm friends with Orin, so that should be fully disclosed. But <laughs> I really like the book. I only read um, supernatural fiction from, like, the late 1800s, early 1900s. Because I feel like everything nowadays is so... Um, we've seen all the movies and the TV shows, and so we have those uh, cliches in our head. So when you read a book nowadays, I feel like it's all just the cliches over and over again, which I hate. But these stories, for whatever reason, they read to me like... They're kind of like a Hellboy story, um, if you've read Hellboy, where it's just... Some of it you kind of expect you know what's going to happen, but then it's just totally different, which I like to be surprised and not read the same stuff that I know what's going to happen all the time. So that being said, I like it, even though we're friends. It sounds like my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Mike's drawings are so good. He's the best. It's just, I don't want to give away what it's about, but... I liked it so much that I drew a portrait or a pinup for it involving my Karnacki character a number of years ago for Oren. Um, but it's just a really cool idea. It's based off of a, a cliche idea, but then it's turned on its head in a different direction, which is exactly what I'm talking about with you think you know what's going to happen, but then it's completely different, which he just is a master of that type of stuff. Nice. Have any of your illustrations given you nightmares? No, because I make sure I don't draw spiders. <laughs> yes. Damn it, if I'd known that, I would have found some way to make you draw spiders. <laughs> ne never compromise on that. Never compromise. Uh, so this this Kickstarter still has, uh, by the time this episode goes up, it still has a good number of days left in it, and you all have already, you're already past 25% of the way there uh, yeah. as, of, as of recording. Yeah, when so, I checked last night, we were broaching 3,000, um, yep. so for percentage, that is, of 9,500. Um, 
pretty good for, was that, the third day? Third day, yeah. Yeah, we seem to be doing all right. Um, well, you can find out by going to, to kickstarter.com and searching uh, Never Bet the Devil, and you'll find it that way. We'll also put links in the show notes at don'tsplitup.com and at facebook.com slash don'tsplitup. Uh, Oren, what are you work like? What's next? Kind of, I, I'm sure you have another project that you're working on past this. Um, yeah, I've actually got. I mean, I've got a lot of short stories coming out various places um, in the next year or so. I think there's like seven or eight that are already, you know, in the process of coming out one place or another. Um, I'm also working on. Uh, my third collection, actually, which will be out in like early 2018, so I'm working on putting that together. And then I've got um, I write full time, so I do a lot of freelance work, which, you know, just work for hire, various stuff. Um, I'm doing a lot of projects for Privateer Press, which is a company that makes tabletop war games. Ooh. Lots of stuff coming from them that was written by me. Nice. And Mike, what about you? I know we talked the other day, and you said you were booked out through the end of the year as far as art-wise. Is there anything you're real excited about coming up? Um, well, mostly what I just do now is book covers, so there's a lot of exciting book covers. Well, not that any book cover I do isn't fun to work on, but um, there's some bigger publishers that I've never worked with before that I'm pretty excited about. Um, that's pretty much what's carrying me through the end of the year, and then in my free time, I'm working on Karnacki, hoping to get that out by the end of the year. Excellent. Uh, well, we'll put links to both of your websites and Twitter and all that in the uh, show notes at dunsplitup.com. But before you guys take off, can you tell us where people can connect with you online? Oren, where are you? Uh, I'm on Facebook as Oren Gray. Twitter is Oren Gray. Um, Instagram as Oren Gray. Uh, and OrenGray.com. And Mike? Uh, my website is mscorley.com and then... Twitter, Corley MS, or at Corley MS, um, and then I got all the social media. Excellent. Yeah. Well, well, we'll link to you guys in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We're very excited for this uh, this new special uh, second edition of Don't Bet the Devil. Uh, thank you all for coming on. And Oren, especially because you're a classic horror movie guy, we'd love to have you back on sometime when we're doing some of the digging back into the vault uh, just to talk horror. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. All right, well, thank you guys so much uh, for joining us. And, again, please check out their project. Please check out these guys' art because what they do is fantastic. Uh, and just, again, thanks for being on. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. It was nice to meet you. Don't split up. Okay, so let's talk about Stranger Things. Uh, on the off chance you haven't heard about Stranger Things, I'm not sure how that was possible at this point, uh, especially if you have the technology to listen to a podcast. But it is a... TV show, if we can still call such things this, that debuted on Netflix last month, uh, and it has gotten a tremendous amount of buzz. Uh, it was created and directed by the Duffer Brothers, and uh, it's basically like the Goonies meets the X-Files, sort of. Meets E.T., yeah. It's like a Spielberg yeah. slash Stephen King movie mm-hmm. that's eight hours long. I was gonna say that's that's exactly how I described it to all of my friends. Like you should watch this. Mm-hmm. In one word, you could sum it up as phenomenal. 
<laughs> so it is eight episodes long. It has already been picked up for a second season that they have confirmed is going to do a one-year time jump. Ooh. So uh, let's start. Let's back up a little bit. I know some of you were barely alive in the 80s. Uh, so... You were barely alive in the 80s. Someone wasn't alive in the 80s. <laughs> oh, I was alive for all ten years of the 80s, thank you. Um, so uh, I'm curious, when you think of like 80s film, what what do you think of? Like, What are your classic go-to 80s movies? Trouble in Little China, hands down. Mm. Um, I don't really have one, I don't think. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, most of the ones that I think about are like... The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candles and like all of those. Um, Ferris Bueller is was Ferris Bueller in the eighties or nineties? Okay, Ferris Bueller would probably be the one that I probably would go back to the most. Um, but any anything Spielberg's ever done, obviously, um, E.T. and all of that. But you know, I I was only alive for five years in the eighties, so I I really. Wasn't a movie was, watcher when I was four and three years old. I think it's still fair <laughs> to be a fan of the 80s if you weren't, like, adolescent in the 80s. Because I was I born know. in 83, but in the 90s, when I was of an age where me and my dad could sit down to watch movies, that was the era that we hit. And so it was 80s action, it was 80s kids, it was 80s... Well, actually, 80s everything except horror, because me and my dad both shared dislike for horror. Um... <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, Goonies, Ferris, anything Arnold, uh, Kurt Russell. I mean, mm -hmm. they were all spectacular. The 80s is the best. What about you, Jared? Yeah, there, you know, there was something about especially the 80s, like, kid movies, like the Goonies, like Monster Squad, you know, that Oren talked about, uh, Stand By Me. Uh, they, they just had this, like this kind of weird innocence about them that you don't see, I think, in a lot of movies today, where uh, kids are treated like little adults in some ways. And it's it's such a fine line because they still act like kids, but they're so independent. And maybe it's the age of helicopter parenting that we live in, but it's, it's unthinkable today that a group of kids would just be running all over their town on their bicycles completely unsupervised for the entire day. You know, they didn't have cell phones. Parents couldn't keep track of their kids. And that's how I was. Like, my friends and I would be home, all, especially in the summer, like, all day. And we would just go wherever and do whatever uh, mm -hmm. with zero su supervision. I've had this conversation with my parents a lot because I have a 12-year gap between my sister and I, uh, her being 12 years younger. And the way my brother and I were raised to the way she was raised is wholly different because, yeah, we'd get home from school, jump on our bikes, and we just had to be home by dark. And outside of that, as far as you could ride and still get back by dark was as far as you could go. And, yeah, we would have all kinds of crazy adventures, you know, be places we shouldn't be. And I don't. Maybe that's part of the reason. Yeah, I kind of like him back to and, the '80s movies. And how how abstract is Home by Dark? I mean, right? What? When <laughs> See, exactly is dark? You know, I've, if the street lamps Karina, were on. That's okay. That's what I was about to say. That that was our rule. The sh it's once the street lamps are on, that's when you have to be home. Yeah. If you were further than you could hear my dad whistle, you better be home before those <laughs> lamps were on. That is accurate. Yeah, it was the same for it's me very, too. Uh, so, so this this show, I mean, from the score 
through the way it's shot to the actual plot and the cast, I mean, it really does embody a lot of the things that people consider to be classic 80s stuff. And and I don't know, you know, for, for Amanda and me, when we sat down to watch it, we didn't know much about it. We didn't watch a trailer. We had just heard a lot of, I think you had not even heard of the, the show until... Not at all. And I was so anticipating it because that's one of my favorite things, being able to go into something. Nowadays, I feel like I see a trailer you know, five, six, seven, twenty-five times, and so I can pick out right before something in the trailer is going to happen in the movie, like, oh, well, that's when this is about to happen, and it drives mm-hmm. me, it drives me batty. So I was really, really excited because, I, I mean, even when the very, very beginning with the like the Stranger Things font and the score, I was just like, oh, this is gonna be weird, you know, like, is it gonna be, um, is it gonna be like the what's the movie with the the monster that w- could shape shift and it w- lo- seemed like it was in the eighties but it wasn't the sex monster. Oh, it follows. It follows. It it could be like <laughs> it follows. It could be like it follows. The sex monster. <laughs> it could be like like it follows where it was a little bit bizarre. Is this in the eighties or are we just using like eighties fashion and kind of you know like the hipster whatever or is it actually truly going to be? Um, an 80s thing, and I, I loved it. It was, and I loved all the kids. Oh man, it was so good. So, so we again, we didn't know anything going into it. We didn't even know what tone the show was going to have, and so it, you know, it unspools pretty quickly to tell you something, something bad is going on, and this is going to be a pretty weird show. Um, and we were hooked. We were hooked pretty early on. Uh, what? How did? You know, Stacy, how did you approach the show? Uh, what did you know about it going in, and and how long did it take you to get hooked? Um, well, I like you guys for the most part didn't really know anything. All I knew was what I had heard from you three, um, and I feel like I, at this point I can trust your guys' judgment on something, whether it be good <laughs> or bad, or whether you like it or don't like it. I feel like I can infer whether I'm gonna like it or not like it. Do you um, hear that, Jr? Over a year later, she finally trusts us. <laughs> Based on some of the disagreements we've had, that means a lot, Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, once I hear what you guys had to say, I was like, okay, I definitely need to give it a try. Um, I remember the first episode, I was still like, oh, this is kind of weird. I like it, but I'm not really sure. Um, I was definitely creeped out the first episode. I remember texting Mo, like, this is going to be scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and then about seven hours later, I had finished the show. So, <laughs> I mean, what else am I supposed to do with my free time in summer? I don't have homework. I don't have classes. In between working out and going to work, I watched It literally shows. went like that. The text messages that I got started and ended with that show that same evening. Like, mm-hmm. this is scary. I don't know how I feel. Oh, my God, this was amazing. I'm like, Stacey, has it, have you even had enough time? Did you fast forward through pieces? Like... <laughs> Yeah. I think uh, I started about like eight in the morning. And then I was, I was the same way. I knew nothing. Um, I actually play a couple video games online, and people, everyone, like you, could not escape Stranger uh, Things, you know, talk. And so I just kind of blocked myself from everything and started watching it. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't actually find this to be overly scary, but I think I was so enthralled by the show that some of that was lost on me. Like, I love the intro. They had me hooked from the moment they opened up and were playing Dungeons and Dragons and they're all <laughs> yelling at each other in the basement, you know, what to do, and the kids are all animated. And, uh, I, like, I, 
the show could have gone anywhere, and I would have enjoyed it just from that opening scene. Uh, so let's talk about the characters. Uh, you have this core of four boys, uh, led by Mike, and uh, Will, one of the foursome, goes missing. Uh, and then it's not too long after that that they're joined by a different fourth, uh, who is Eleven. So, uh, Stacy, what did you think of what did you think of the the main core group of kids? Because that's in an '80s movie, like that's your core, right? That's the most essential. Mm-hmm. So, what did you think of them? Um, I really liked them, honestly. I felt like it was like a good group of kids together. Like they. I don't know, I felt like I saw myself in them a lot, like each of them a little bit differently, but that's, I don't know, that's how I grew up with my friends. I just, I thought they were really relatable, really like realistic and true to what it's like in the real life. Well, it was great too because you've got the one kid, Dustin, or uh, the one who's missing his teeth or whatever, who's kind of the (laughs) sissy, you know, kind of wants to follow the rules, and then Lucas is like the the hard-ass, but also doesn't necessarily want to do things he can't. And then you've got Mike, who's like the quote-unquote, you know, leader. He's uh, he's scared, but he's willing to do whatever. He's like, we gotta, we got to save our friends. I, I saw a lot of Lean on Me, or Stand By Me, mm-hmm. uh, in this film. And I loved that show growing up, so I, I like their group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was the same. I loved getting to see, well, Eleven was obviously my favorite. She was so like sweet and innocent and adorable but also like so hardcore and legit and I was just like yes 11 you're so awesome so I I loved it um yeah I thought all of the boys interactions they they felt really real they still felt even though you know they they probably aren't the poster children uh like like perfect children or whatever they they were just really really likable and really um, like you were rooting for them for sure. I think my favorite thing about the kids was how subtly they just unpacked what it means to be a kid. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. for instance, when uh, when Lucas and Mike have the big fight about Eleven, and they yeah. sort of break up the group, which you know we know on Don't Split Up, that's like the A number one rule you don't ever do. You don't break up the group, right? Uh, but So you know that this portends bad things, and you know that uh, as long as the group is separated, they're not going to be successful, right? So you're you're aching for them to get back together, and the way they get back together is with ru- rules that clearly came out of their Dungeons and Dragons playing, right? <laughs> they talk they talk about the can, and it's clear that this is they've had disagreements before, and they in like in their own little friend universe, they have created like a almost like a legal system for how how things get back together, and they have a rule. I love the, that. I yeah. love it. And, and that's just, it's how it's how kids work, right? Like, when you play, when you have these imaginative worlds that you all share together, those worlds actually sort of shape how you live in reality, and they're a way of figuring out how to resolve conflict and how to face your fears and all this kind of stuff, and every kid does that, but it's so often the imaginative worlds that kids build are just completely written off by adults. And I think well, one of the oh go ahead no finish yeah, I about it. Uh, I think one of the one of the best things when when a kids movie can show kids imaginative worlds and take them seriously and show how they 
help kids navigate the real world, that becomes like a really powerful and very realistic thing because it's something we all experienced growing up. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. how we learn to live in the world, whether it was books you read or TV shows you watched or comic books or D&D or whatever. Well, that's – and I love how the story paralleled their game that opens up at the very beginning. I mean, Will's the one who gets taken away, and he's the one who was being attacked by – it's is it the Gorgon or the – Demogorgon. Demogorgon. So Will's the one who disappears. You know, Lucas is the one who's calling for action, action, action the entire movie, and he's the one who was screaming, shoot the fireball. You know, Dustin's the reserved one, and he was the one saying, call for the spell of defense. And Will's just kind of – or not Will um, – Mike's just this Mike. narrator, you know, this leader. He's he's the one leading the whole game, and it was. I just thought it was awesome how the entire show unfolds and then even wraps up at the very end with the game. Like you get that closure of the game and the shot. Just I don't know. The whole thing was so well put together. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the rest of the cast. Um, the teenagers. You had Nancy and Steve. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and that whole crew, Luke, um, or not Lucas? What was his? What was the brother's name? Jonathan. Jonathan and Barbara. Yeah, yeah and Barbara. Uh, what did you make of this kind of part of the storyline? They were the most annoying to me. I, <laughs> I mean, can <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I, was but, say, I don't want to say that, but yeah. But I think they were supposed to be. You know, they're supposed to be these like angsty teenagers that are all wrapped up in their own little worlds and. Um, yeah, very, very much felt like the Breakfast Club kids, you know, with like all of the the drama that they, I don't know, that that high schoolers have to endure, you know, and that that their kid brothers are just obnoxious and don't know anything and and whatnot. I appreciated the fact that they didn't get too cliche with it. I mean, it was definitely. I agree. They were my least favorite part of the show. Um, Nancy, Jonathan, and I can't remember. Uh, Steve. Steve. Yeah, Steve. Uh, but I like the fact that at the end, you know, she didn't end up with Jonathan as they were kind of leading towards, and she stayed with Steve, mm-hmm. and you know, his character actually grew and developed. Yeah, like he, you think he, you think Steve's just like the classic bully, the worst, shallow. And he ends yeah. up like you're like, okay, I mean, he's kind of a dweeb, but whatever. Like he's not a terrible guy. Like yeah, he's he like perseveres. Normal... He he tries to make amends. You know, it was so I appreciated that personal growth, that character growth, as opposed to just taking the easy out and be like, yep, Steve's your cliche or cliche jerk, now nah, we'll get with Jonathan, because we never realized, you know, he had so much more to offer. It's like, Yeah, Steve nope. Steve gets killed by the monster, and then, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, we've seen that movie a hundred times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I so, agree. I, I didn't, I don't know, I, I actually thought that the scene in the last episode when the, the teenagers are in the house... Mm-hmm. Uh, really paid off all of that really well. Yeah. Yes. And absolutely. and when all three of them end up in there together, and Steve's freaked out because he hasn't known anything is <laughs> going on, but then he steps up and yeah. he saves them. Yeah. At, you know, oh, they yeah. all kind of save each other, and um, I, even how they figured out that blood is what brings it in. I mean, all of that I thought paid off and made it worth sitting through some of the earlier stuff. Absolutely. Um, Especially when they busted out the. The bear trap. I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to no, be good. <laughs> their prep for that was so much better than, like, 90% of the horror films we watch. Like, I was so right. impressed. I'm like, these kids are getting down. Like, they are taking no chances. They will burn I, this house to the ground. Like, that was, I, feel like, I was impressed. Um, I feel like they, like, that's what, like, we as people who watch movies always have, like, this plan, like, 
in movies, people act an atypical way, and that's watching the movies. You're like, why don't you do this? I feel like they took the people who are watching the movies and, like, put them in the movie. Like, this is how you do it. This is how you prepare for <laughs> crazy stuff that's about to go down. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. You steal a bunch of stuff from the sheriff's department after you've bought it from a pawn shop with a guy looking at you like you're a crazy person. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, now, let me ask you this. Did you guys find the sheriff's character frustrating? No. As far no, as how long him. it took him to come on board with no. you know, a missing kid or anything like that? I, I actually had the exact opposite reaction. I loved that. He, I expected that he was going to be the character who was so skeptical until the last episode. And then finally, like, but no, in like what it was like the third or fourth episode, he's in the secret facility, like investigating mm -hmm. stuff. And then when he wakes up in his apartment, he's not like, oh, weird. It was just a dream. Like he's he's like on board so early. So I, I enjoyed the fact that he actually came on board and was searching and became a part of Winona Ryder's side where it was like, all right, I realize I can't talk to anyone about this, unlike Winona. He's like, because I will seem crazy. But <laughs> I, was, um, I still found it odd that at the beginning, even for a small town and the fact that he's like, you know, you know when the last time something happened was, and he gives that little spiel, uh, you know, her son's been missing for a couple of days and he's still kind of like, yeah, you know, whatever. I'm sure he'll turn up. That to me was just... Like, that's my one pet peeve with the show. And if that's it, I suppose it was still phenomenal. <laughs> but that, like, that's that's also kind of how they how they worked. I mean, first of all, she was a single mom, and so everyone assumes the kid's with the dad, right? And, and again, mm -hmm. this is back in the early 80s when single parenting was not, like, a it, normal, it like, it was still, common. like, a social pariah kind of a thing. I was going to say, she does seem like she's the town pariah in this case. Like, everyone's like, eh, you know, doesn't she right. have some issues? And then again, like, this is the 80s when the kids, yeah, they had forts in the woods, and they spent the night at each other's houses, and you didn't have cell phones. So, like, parents were just less connected to their kids always, mm -hmm. you know? That's... And so so I I bought that more, well, you know? Well, and, and you also see the, the more human side of the sheriff because it's sort of like he's going through some post-traumatic stress with, you know, everything that he had had to go yeah. through with his daughter, you know... Absolutely. Very skittish around kids, and and again, they were completely separate scenarios. But still, he had all of these reminders come up, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. Um, I I dug it. I I thought he did a really really good job and was totally believable. All right, you guys so have sold I. me on that. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I said, that was my pet peeve. I mean, that was that was the pickiest I could be with this show. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about Joyce a little bit. Winona Ryder's character. Uh, I was actually very concerned about her in the first episode because she was like she just like lost it, mm -hmm. and I was like, oh great, Arita's gonna have to put up with like her being hysterical and crying like for eight episodes. Yeah. And I was really impressed. I thought she walked a very fine line between like being completely insanely dedicated to finding her kid, and like also she kept saying, I know how I sound. Mm -hmm. But I saw this. Like, I know that you think I'm crazy, but I'm not. And so she – I mean, it, 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 crazy people don't know they're crazy, right? Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. like, she knew, and she was like, I don't care. I don't care that you think I'm crazy because this is real and it's happening, and my son's out there, and you, you're looking in all the wrong places, yeah. you know? And she was like, I don't know where to look either, but I do know that when I'm at my house, he talks to me. And no, she, I don't care chilling. if you think I'm crazy, right? I, and so I just that I thought it was I thought it was a lot more nuanced and a lot more multifaceted than I was afraid it was going to be. And then again, they so pay that off by the end. 
100%. When everyone realizes that she's not crazy, <laughs> like the son, the sheriff, you know, like when all the pieces kind of start coming together and they're like, oh, uh-oh. <laughs> Do we apologize now or later? This is this is awkward. Right. That, that was the only criticism that I've seen online is that some people felt as though Winona was overacting a bit, but... But like you said, JR, I think that she handled it really well. And we haven't seen her in anything in a while. So it was it was kind of refreshing to have her back, you I, know, from Beetlejuice to now. <laughs> I didn't think it was overacting. I just agree with JR. At first I was like, this is too early, and is this going to be the whole season? But there was enough surrounding her and enough interaction that it was never, it, it didn't seem over the top or just, you know, played out. And I guess I have to say, too, as someone who was raised by a single mom for a lot of years, Single parents, like, they live on the razor's edge of sanity anyway because mm, they have to do so easy. much to balance their lives. And it doesn't take it doesn't take much of a trauma to push them into a pretty bad place. Uh, to and, mention, I was just going to say her, her one job was to take care of her children and one of them disappeared. Right, so, that's I mean, what I was going to say. Like, yeah, it's not even a minor trauma. It's like one of your two children is gone so like that's 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 huge. It would devastate any parent, let alone someone who's already in a very difficult place. So it didn't bother me. Um, I I think one of the best scenes from the entire show for me. It's not my best, but that I truly loved was when she's at work and she's asking for the advance. Yeah. And and mm-hmm. she's saying, you know, I've never missed a day of work. My son is missing. You will give this to me. I need this. And it's like you see that desperation, and you know it can't be easy for her to ask for that handout. But at the same point in time, she's willing to do anything and everything. And the guy, like, kind of, you know, begrudgingly, you know, gives it to her. But that was, I think that was a pretty powerful scene that kind of summed up her character. Yeah. Definitely. Um, Okay, we're almost out of time, but I do want to talk about the Upside Down. So what did you think of the other dimension, the monster, like, the horror part of the show? I do have a question about the Upside Down. I really, I like it. I think they did a phenomenal job. I like the whole concept of it. But so, is it like, I guess, radioactive there? Like, because the guys were wearing suits, and then whenever um, the other little boy went in and he came back, like, that was the was one thing that confused that they, me about. They just didn't know. They were, you know, they had tried to build around it. They were trying to contain it. They were trying to research it so in scientific fashion they just suited up because it was the unknown I don't they never really disclose because some people went in the boy went in the girl went in um, and they were unaffected they just didn't know the scientists just didn't know what was there I'm curious to know if you know a year from now if we find out that Will had some kind of you know more more than the trauma he already experienced while he was in the Upside Down, if he had some, you know, ongoing health problems or if they're even going to address any of that. Because obviously he'll be number 12. Yeah, exactly. Let's well, the, uh, the Duff brothers have already pointed out that several people went into the Upside Down without suits. Right. Not just Will. Yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, because Nancy went in, Steve mm-hmm. went in, correct? Yes. Uh, Will went in. No, no. He's never in. No, not Steve, just Jonathan. Jonathan, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, it was Jonathan that Nancy chased in there. Um, yeah. Or vice versa. And did the he sheriff end up going in? Jonathan doesn't go in. He pulls her out of he the He just pulls her yeah. out? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So oh, that's three. right, because he's screaming on the other side, yeah. and she follows his voice back yeah. to the tree. Yeah. So Nancy, did the sheriff went in, didn't he? The sheriff and yeah, the mom. definitely. 
Okay. The mom okay. went in? Yeah, at the very end. She went and found Will. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay. So, four people? Four. Yeah. That are alive still? But Will was in there the longest, and he's the first yeah. one coughing up banana slugs. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that <laughs> little zinger at the end. So, Ooh, so yeah. what did you think of the monster? I loved the monster. The Demogorgon. Oh, he was Oh, my God, great. loved him so much. That, I, so, Stacey, you talked about how you were really freaked out, or maybe not really freaked out, but it made you a little nervous that you were going to be scared. JR and I watched three episodes right in a row, and then we took a little bit of a break, but he left to go drive <laughs> to the airport and then pick up a friend. And it was like 11 o'clock at, at night. at the house yeah. by myself at 11 o'clock at night. And I didn't think it was too scary, and then I was laying in bed, and every sound that I heard in my house, I was like... <gasps> It's coming for me. Oh no! What am I gonna do? So I was a little. <laughs> cast out. protection spell. And we hadn't even but seen the chicken. monster at that point. No. Well, and I feel like that's why it was. I was so like timid and or like scared at the beginning is because you don't see the monster. Like you see him, but you don't see him. And then towards the end of the, like the last couple episodes, you see him. And like we've discussed before, once you see the monster, it's not so scary. So the fact that you didn't know what it was, it could do these things, time travel, jump, you know, like you're just the unknown of it is what's scary. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we're about out of time. It sounds like we all love Stranger Things. It sounds like we all highly recommend it, which, again, we're just joining the legions of voices on the Internet doing that. But uh, by way of closing, tell me what you want to see in Season 2. I want to see Eleven come back. I was just going to say that. Absolutely. She is such a great character. I would love to see her again. I just don't want them to change. <laughs> I just want to see that group of boys get into one more adventure. Mm-hmm. Um, I would. It'd be awesome if Eleven came back, but I, I'm not going to hold my breath for that one. I'm really just more excited to see what happens with Will and where that's going. I mean, Eleven's definitely coming back based on the final scene with the sheriff. Yeah, and the egos. Yeah, he leaves the egos in the, in woods. the woods. Like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if if not, that's like the biggest jerk move in the history of storytelling. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know more about the nature of the upside down. I want to know why there was only one monster, and I want to know. I mean, there was an egg, so. Uh, I I just I why is there only one monster in this place? You want backstory. Yeah, I didn't want to be the first one to bring it up, but thank you for coming to the dark yeah. side, Jr. <laughs> by way of by way of defending myself, let me say I don't feel like the lack of backstory hurts season one. Yeah, but you'd love to see it in number two, wouldn't you? I would love to know more about the rules of the Upside Down. You can skirt around that word; it's fine. I'll say it for you, buddy. It's called backstory. <laughs> All right. Well, we're out of time. So uh, let us know what you thought of Stranger Things. Uh, let us know what you want to see in season two, and let us know if you're planning on helping Oren and Mike back. Uh, Never bet the devil, vol- or second edition. Uh, this has been Don't Split Up, a fun bonus episode for you. Look for our 29th episode on the Thing versus the Fly coming out very soon as well. Until then, thanks for listening, and whatever you do, don't split up. Join J.R., Stacey, Amanda, and Mo to discuss blood, guts, horror, and gore. In our podcast, Don't Split Up, where we discuss horror movies and how great or not they are. Because as you know,
survival is never leave your friend so don't split up if you want to make it to the end no don't don't split up well, this place is huge no one take the back porch scream if you see anything that won't be hard but an observation of this loaded moment I am not in favor of splitting up, nor am I three days from retiring. I will not be right back.